0: This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Stephen G. Post, the author of a new book entitled God and Love and Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. Please listen to podcast number 735, where Greg and Dr. Post discuss his personal story, which is filled with faith, love, and fate. Compelled by a persistent and mysterious dream of a blue angel, Stephen leaves behind his family, friends, and a routine life in New Hampshire in favor of thumbing a ride across the continent on a spontaneous road trip adventure. You won't want to miss this engaging discussion and the life lessons learned as a result of his faith in God while following his intuition and listening to his soul's calling. Please listen to podcast number 735 with author Dr. Stephen G. Post about his new book, God and Love and Route 80. For more information, please visit his website at www.stephengpost.com or www.unlimitedloveinstitute.org. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voicen, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have a returning guest author coming on, and he's actually a local San Diego resident and a friend of mine and his name is Steve Farber. Steve, good day to you, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, Greg, thanks for having me on.
1: Well, it's good to have you on our podcast Inside Personal Growth, and as I do every time. Uh, Steve, I thank the people that listen, that keep coming back again and again, and all the new listeners and our 10 channels that we're on today that you know, this thing has just expanded and expanded. So for all of you out there listening, uh, we appreciate it. Steve's been on the show before, uh, talking about his book called The Radical Leap and Greater Than Yourself. I think he's been on two other times. Today we're going to be speaking about his book called "Love is Just Damn Good Business. Do what you Love in the service of people who love what you do. Um, obviously that is a more needed today than ever than any time, Steve. Uh, we do need leaders in particular, um, in all branches of our world who are actually uh, doing things with compassion and love. I'm going to let our listeners know a little bit about you, Steve, Is a leadership speaker who empowers individuals to improve their organizations, schools, communities, and lives through the philosophy of extreme leadership. Woven through deeply held values and day-to-day actions, extreme leadership urges us to leap into long-term success by cultivating love, generating energy, inspiring audacity, and providing proof. Steve's, uh, Farber's universal message of integrity strongly resonates with the tone of practical honesty and humor. An Inc top 50 leadership and management expert and a member of the Transformational Leadership Council. Steve's multifaceted work includes He's all over the place. So go to his website, get his book. Uh, You can find him at stevefarber.com. Very easy. You also see that there's uh, information there about the book, his courses, his workshops, his e-courses, videos, and client links as well. So definitely go there. You can also uh, check out his other books at that website. So Steve, one of the things that impressed me and I always do this when I'm reading the introduction of a book is in your introduction, you tell our listeners and the readers, you know, you had this great love of music, guitar, you held various jobs, you you were a commodities broker. I didn't even know that about you Um, Mm -hmm. and not having much love for that kind of work and kind of uh, disdained it quite a bit. You end up going back to San Francisco. You're walking around. You were obviously unhappy until you went to work for Tom Peters. Now, in your estimation, for all those listeners that are out there, and there's probably a lot of them, who are in that similar situation, right? It's like, well, wow, I really love playing the guitar, but I had to put my music aside because I had a family and I had to support my kids. And they're going, man, this sounds like me what would you tell the listeners about finding and doing something that they love?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And Oh, there are so many, so many ways to approach it. So let me set a little context for my answer first. So the, the subtitle of the book, as you mentioned is do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Right. So the, the premise here is that, is that doing what you love as a leader, as a business person is is really the foundation for your for your effectiveness as a leader and it's also the foundation of a of a thriving competitive business uh, and we can get into why that is you know as as our conversation continues but but the foundation of it is doing what you love but that's not enough the second part is in the service of people right so i'm doing what i love but i'm using that to serve people in a significant way so in the service of people is the context It's it's both the moral and ethical context in that if all i'm doing is what i love and i don't really care about the impact on anybody else that's just another way of saying narcissism right so i'm doing what i love in the service of people and i'm serving them in such a significant way that the result is they reciprocate they love me in return who love what you do right so the ideal scenario i think for for all of us is to find that connection with our, uh, with our vocation, with our business, with the activity that that makes us money. If I really love the work that I'm doing, uh, it's going to give me the, the energy uh, to uh, to persist. It's going to it's going to inspire me to be audacious and set you know ginormous goals to make that happen. And it's going to require that I prove myself every day that's the the leap framework that you mentioned before, but there are times when uh what I love to do doesn't necessarily pay the bills right right so in my so in my case, I started out as you mentioned, wanting to be a musician because I loved music and i had and I had a talent for it, but that desire smacked up against another big desire that I had and reality that I had, which was called feeding people. Right. Right. So I had a family feeding kids. Exactly. It just happened to be my own. Right. So, so I gave up music in order to pay the bills. The problem for me was I went into a business, excuse me, sorry. I get all choked up thinking about it. <clears throat> I went into a business uh, that, uh, because it was expedient, because I had a friend who was in the commodities business and and taught me the ropes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I hated it. I hated that business. I hated it so much that I started my own business in it. <laughs> <laughs> I, ended, I, I mean, I discovered I was an entrepreneur. That, that was a, the positive side of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all I knew was the commodities business, but I ended up with my own shop. And And I hated that, too, and it's a weird place to be when you hate your own business, right? Yeah So eventually I gave that up, and I found work that pays the bills that I do love, which is the consulting and the training and the speaking and the you know all the stuff that I've been doing now for 30 years, right. Um, so I think for a lot of us, there are things that we love to do that don't pay the bills, but But here's the mistake that a lot of people make, and it was the, the, the mistake that I made too. We give it up. We turn it off. We turn off the spigot. We say, "I'll, I'll continue with music," because there are a lot of frustrated musicians out there. I can't make a living playing guitar, so I'm going to stop. And I'm just going to stop. I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough. There's too much competition. I got too many other responsibilities. And because I can't make a living out of it, I'm just going to push it aside. That's what I did, and it was a mm-hmm. terrible mistake, because because we still love it, right? Right. So so I what I say to people all the time is if there is something that you gave up on once upon a time in your life that you love to do, whether it was it was music or writing or, or gardening or a sport or something, and you gave it up for any number of reasons, you know, you didn't think you were good enough, couldn't make money at it, you thought it was frivolous, you didn't have time, blah, blah, blah. You owe it not just to yourself, to bring that back because that's where your joy comes from. But you also owe it to the people that you're leading to bring that back for yourself because that's where your raw material comes from. That's where your energy comes from. Mm -hmm. And then you can apply that in all kinds of ways in a business or a vocation that you may not be in love with but you can find aspects of it that you do love. You may love the people that you work with. You may love the, you know, the, the, the culture of the place. You, there's lots of things to love. And what I'm suggesting in this book is that, if, that it's, it's imperative for us to really tap into that because that ultimately is going to translate into what and how our customers experience from us. And if our customers love what we do for them, that's where our competitive advantage comes from.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh it's you have a similar kind of thing. I mean, I not growing up, but I started doing this podcast show almost 14 years ago. And wow. it hasn't been something that I've made a living at. It's a hobby, pretty much. I love helping people get educated about what authors have to say, and I've become yeah. really good at it. And I've had people say to me, why do you keep doing that? You know, you haven't been able to monetize it and hardly pay for itself, whatever. I do it because I love doing it. And I think that the comments people give back to me really make something significant of it. And and, and I love doing it. I love preparing. I love reading the books. I love understanding more about the content. Now, in your first chapter, you discuss the measurement of love. And in classic Peter Drucker style, if it can't be measured, it can't be improved. What right. would you tell our listeners about measuring love and the impacts that it can have on a business? Now, I, I remember, you know, everybody out there listening knows Southwest Airlines, right? It's got this big Herb Kelleher. He used to use it all the time, you know, walk around and give out candy and hug people yeah. and all the stuff right. that Herb did uh, at right. Southwest Airlines. I can't say it's quite that same kind of place today, but I think we right. try to do that but the reality is is that how do people in business try and measure this
2: yeah so there's there are a couple of different things um it's it's not easy um but there is one classic kind of measurement that we use in business uh to to look at Customer response to what we do, and it's called the Net Promoter Score or NPS. <clears throat> now, what one of the things that that I propose in the book is that the the net the um, that Net Promoter Score is in effect a measure of luck because what is the the measurement is how likely are you to recommend our product or service to friends or family on a scale of one to ten. And what I'm suggesting is that if, if it's a 10, it's because I love this. (laughs) I love, I love this, uh, this business. I love this product. I love the service. I love the way that you, that you respond to me. And by the way, I'm not the one who made that, that connection. I first kind of heard that perspective a number of years ago uh, from an executive at, uh, at Quicken, actually. He said, this is, this is kind of, this is a measurement of love. Those were his words and I said, "Damn, that's absolutely right." Um so we can measure we can measure response internally. We can measure um we can measure things like employee engagement, right? It's fair to say if I don't love this place, I'm going to give working here a low score. If I do love this place, I'm going to give it a high score. Now, people may not be using that word exactly, but what we what – we, it, but it's it's a similar experience. And then qualitatively, when you have conversations with people, you hear the language that they use. Hey, what's it like to work here? Oh, I love it. I tell a story in the book about a, a, a bank teller who once uh, – I just asked her, how do you like working here? And she said, oh, I love it. I love it. Love, 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 love you know, completely unprompted, unsolicited. I love, I love working here. I love the environment. I love my customers. Sometimes my customers stop in just to say hello, even when they have no banking to do, because that's the kind of relationship we have. So qualitatively, you can hear it. Now, as a business guy, I say, that's cool. But what impact does it actually have on our proverbial bottom line, as we measure it as, Business people, which of course, there's lots of ways to measure that profitability, turnover rate, you know, customer numbers, uh, productivity, all kinds of ways that we that we we measure all this stuff all the time. And I didn't have to do the research on this. There's a ton of it out there. There's a direct correlation <clears throat> between high levels of engagement and bottom line results. That's why. Everybody's chasing after employee engagement. There is a direct correlation between high net promoter scores and customer loyalty, customer spend, you know, all that sort of the thing that we measure. So it's it's a dotted line kind of a measurement, but it is a measurement nonetheless. And even even more than that, we just know it. We know it. We know that when when we love going to work, when we love being a part of this team, we bring more of ourselves to it we we get more creative, we get more responsive uh, we we are more supportive of one another, we take better care of our customers. We all know this. I don't have to convince anybody of this; we know it to be true. All I'm saying is, let's stop dancing around the word you know we're not comfortable with using the word. Love Love. and business in the same sentence, right? right? It's like we we've come to believe that somehow love is soft, abstract, touchy feely California law crap, and and business is all about you know the the uh, the the analytical rational mind, and it is about that, but we are also human at work, at least at least for now. (laughs) So AI, AI is is another story
1: that that (laughs) um, I have seen this soft, touchy feely stuff. Many businesses don't want to tread over there. They don't want to go over there. Uh, Many businesses are okay with compassion, using the word compassion and love. Um, And I think it is important that we start to use it because of the healing powers that it actually brings into a business. Now you state that love is the first foundational component of your LEAP model of extreme leadership. And you've had this model for some time. It's all over your website. It's, you know, it's kind of who you are um, and you teach it. Um, Can you stay, you know, can you tell the listeners what the acronym leap stands for and how they would build something like this into their business? Because look, yeah, you've got a book, you're talking about love, but the reality is now we've got to embed this into the DNA of the culture of an organization, and yeah, that's absolutely. Where, that's where you come in. And so
2: yes, exactly. How right. do
1: you help people even just get started on that path?
2: Yeah, yeah, great question. So so just to be clear, um, this that's what this is all about. It's not simply about using the language. That's easy to do, right? So for example, you mentioned Southwest Airlines, which by the way, I did not write about in this book. <laughs> Maybe the first book of its kind to not mention South Southwest Airlines. Um <clears throat> but look at that right? So their stock exchange symbol is LUV. They they refer to themselves as the Love Airline, right? The big heart is part of their logo. It's been that way since the beginning. Herb Kelleher demonstrated that. He He acted it. He didn't just, you know, create a brand that said love. He was deeply loved by the people there because of the way he acted towards them, because of the the, the care that he gave because of the respect that he showed because of his, his you know, he just had a, uh, he, was, he was a larger than life personality, uh, you know, way back when they, instead of calling their human resources department the human resources, they called it the people department, you know, all this sort of thing. So that's the point. It's, the question isn't, are we using the language of love? That's easy to print the banners and the buttons, et cetera. It's, are we operationalizing it? So operationalizing love, is th- that's the purpose of what, of what we're talking about here. It's the purpose of the book. In other words, it's trying to answer the question for ourselves in the way that we do business every day, what does or should this look like in the way that we conduct our business, right? Yep. So the LEAP framework is, is kind of a methodology for this, and it stands for love, energy, audacity and proof so love is the foundation energy is the juice the enthusiasm the engagement there are lots of of synonyms for it audacity i define as a bold and blatant disregard for normal constraints in order to change things for the better so it's not think outside the box it's what box it's it's that blank sheet of paper all possibilities mindset you know jim collins once called it the big hairy audacious goals right it's it's let's blow the roof off of this place kind of thinking and proof is is what is required it's not it's the uh proof in in our results it we prove ourselves in being congruent uh with our actions that our actions are congruent with our words and with our values, right? That's how I prove that I really mean it, is by acting in ways that that demonstrate my words, right? So, love, energy, audacity, and proof. That's a framework through which any business and any individual can operate. Um, and so, if you think of it this way, whatever it is that you're trying to do, whatever it is, uh, release a new product, uh, write a new book. Uh, build a new company. If you can cultivate love for that in yourself and in others, generate the energy necessary in order to make that happen. Inspire people to be audacious in their thinking and their actions in pursuit of that thing, and then proving that you're that you're uh, making progress along the way, proving that you really mean it through your actions and results. Much more likely to achieve whatever it is. So that's one of the things that we do at the Extreme Leadership Institute is, you know, we help companies um, use that framework to, as you said, embed love, et cetera, in the DNA of the company. So then it's going to have implications on everything from the kinds of people that we hire and how we hire them. It's going to have implications on the way we make decisions around here. Mm-hmm. It's going to have implications on uh, in, in, our customer service policies, uh, the kind of culture that we create, the, even the physical environment. So, you know, I lay out there's t- there are tons of examples in the book, and I don't want this to be just oh read the book and find out. But, right. But there's a lot in there. I mean, it's just example after example after example. And what what I was trying to do is is I just wanted to give so many examples and offer so much evidence that it becomes you know undeniable that this is possible. But I'll give you one quick example, if I may, um, and, and it's a very non-sexy example, which is one of the reasons I love it. There's a company in Jacksonville, Florida, called Trailer Bridge, which I wrote about in the book. Um, they are uh, practitioners of that leap framework. Um, it's run the, the, the current CEO is a guy named Mitch Luciano. Uh, Trailer Bridge is a shipping and logistics company. They they ship uh, you know containers primarily between the mainland. Uh, and uh, Puerto Rico uh, they are blowing up They're, they the last two years uh, their financial performance has exceeded the previous 25 years combined this is a company that came out of bankruptcy a number of years ago burned through four CEOs in three years I mean they were just toxic and and obviously you know to wit their bankruptcy <clears throat> we're not doing well and A terrible reputation Mitch took over, uh, and this is the short version of the story, believe it or not. Uh, but he was, you know, he was a, he was a leap guy. He was a, a proponent of, of operationalizing love. He'd read my books for years and really, you know, informed the way he led. So he he told the board, "I'll take over, but I'm just warning you, it's not going to be like anything you've seen before." And they said, good, because nothing else has worked. <laughs> so he, he set about to consciously and intentionally create an environment that people loved working in, uh, and and he, he did a lot of things that were both significant uh, in terms of how they operated, but also symbolic. Like, for example, he got rid of all the name tags in the company because he said, we should all know who each other is. We need to know each other as human beings. At the time it was 120 people we shouldn't have to look at our name tags to figure out who we are. So that was symbolic. Right. Then he, wa- he wanted to create an environment that people loved hanging out in. So, you know, the typical, you know, what's become kind of typical ping pong tables and foosball tables, and then bringing in the, t- you know, the food trucks every Thursday or whenever it was for people to can have lunch together on the company, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. then they looked at their, at their customer procedures as well. And, and I love this example because it's, it, it gets right to the heart of it. They had a policy forever in the history of the company that, unless a container was at least 75% full, it had to be at least 75% full for it to ship. So, you're a customer, Greg, you're shipping a car to Puerto Rico on this container. You've told your family in Puerto Rico the car is going to arrive on such and such a date because you know when it was going to ship. And then the company tells you, oh, no, we can't ship it because we're not 75% full yet. So you got to wait until we fill it up because if we, if we ship it now, we're going to lose money on it. So sorry. It doesn't say to, to the customer, I love you. <laughs> it says, I tolerate you, right? So he said, okay, if we really loved our customers, what would we do? That's the question. Well, what would you do? You'd ship. You'd ship it who is the, the only thing in the container you would ship it because that's what you do when you love somebody. You follow through on your promises and commitments. And now, fast forward, they're always full. They they never sail with... Every shipment is at least 93, 95 to 100% full. Uh, and it has increased the profitability of the company, that among many other things. So it really... Well, like there, you said, the value...
1: The stories that people are telling out there about the shipping company are actually what are bringing in more business because they're-
2: Exactly saying, right. Yeah. Not only yeah. that, not only that, but internally, the stories that the employees are telling about the company are bringing them the best talent. They, they don't spend any money on recruiting anymore mm-hmm. because their employees are their best recruiters. This is a great place, man. You need to come and work here. And Well, it's
1: it's an excellent example of when- the company goes bankrupt like that, Mitch takes it over, does you know the turnaround with it. Uh, obviously the board was very patient because it takes time to invent all this and do these kind of things. Yes. and I'm sure that they were dragging on profits initially but the long term yeah. payout, I think you have to look at the long term when you're looking at love. Um, exactly. and you you tell a great story and it's about somebody who thinks really long term. And I love this story. It was about Warren Buffett. Now it was a little tidbit in the book. It wasn't a lot about it, but it wasn't something I knew. And it was the decisions and analysis that he'd make before investing in a company. And then let our listeners know that there was one thing that you found unusual about his decision to invest in a company. And I found it quite interesting. I mean, obviously it's a dead giveaway that it's about love, but tell the story
2: yeah so you know if you if you know anything about warren buffett i mean the the obvious thing is he's probably the most successful investor in companies the world has ever known right um and or at least in their modern times and he is known for being uh just an absolute uh savant when it comes to numbers right so he can look at a look at a balance sheet, look at the at, you know all the analytics and derive meaning from it that most of us can't see. So he's got this great analytical ability that he's known for but i saw this interview with him on the motley fool website quite some time ago and the question they asked him was the same question that he's been asked you know a million times which is how do you do it right how do you account for your amazing track record of buying and or investing heavily in great companies and seeing that pay off as an investment so he said the usual things that i would expect him to say about his analytical ability. But then he said that in the final analysis, even when everything looks great on paper, I have to, before I buy a company or invest heavily in it, I have to sit down in the same room with the CEO and I have to look into his or her eyes. And what he said is, I look into their eyes and I try to figure out whether they love the money or the business. If they don't, and I'm paraphrasing here. He said, but if they don't love the business, I can't put my money into it. That's the end of the line right there. If they do love the business, he said, then my job is to make sure I don't do anything that kills that love of that business. So I you know I looked at this answer, I looked at the quote, I looked at his actual words, and he gave you know it was a fifteen second answer. He used the word love four, four times, right? they got to love the business if they don't love the business i'm not putting my money into it if they do love the business i don't want to kill that love of the business love 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 and the reason is very is is very profound and and you know and simple i guess to a certain degree he said if if i look in, if i look into their eyes and i don't see love but i see dollar signs and i hear the cash register ringing in the distance for those of your listeners who remember what cash registers are <laughs> he said then i know the only thing this ceo is interested in is the exit strategy and how quickly they can put their money in their own pocket and get the hell out of there and i'm looking to invest in an asset that's going to grow in value over time and that's not going to happen unless the love is there and he's unabashed about this or well unabashed, you know you, you,
1: you you've, you've if you look at Warren Buffett's track record and it's pretty stellar, like you said um, to ask that final question and to really, I think there's a lot of people that don't want this to just be um, the, the person saying, Hey, look, I want to get out of this business with the exit yeah. strategy. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that is a challenge because there are a lot of people that build, internet-based companies and the first thing they're thinking about in their strategic plan is you know can we exit this thing in five years how do we get out yeah exactly. of it, right how do exactly. we make the most money out of
2: it yeah now there's, um, there's another important there's another important part here greg uh, if i may um the the other thing that they are known for so you know uh, uh buffett's company berkshire Hathaway, right they own great. i don't know how many companies are in their portfolio that they've invested in if you talk to any company that has been acquired by Berkshire Hathaway. What they will all tell you is that you would never know that they were acquired by Berkshire Hathaway because as he said, my job is to stay out of the way and make sure I don't do anything that kills that love of that business. In other words, he's buying their culture too. And they realize that they shouldn't meddle because that's gonna kill the magic. And how many times do we see this? Companies get acquired by other companies and they just start to dismantle all of the human elements that made that company what it was to begin with and they suck the love out of the place. Right, right. That's that's why Berkshire Hathaway is so amazingly successful because they know that that's where the success comes from is the quality of their culture. And if that culture is, is, is imbued with love for the place, the colleagues, the product, the service, their values, their customer, then, then just let it let it be, man.'t don't, don't, don't meddle, don't kill that love. And I, listen, I see it happen all the time. I'm seeing it happen with, with a company that I know very well right now, uh, their CEO. Uh, that everybody loved and he created an amazing, helped to create an amazing culture. He would never take credit for it, although he retired and now the new guy is going, eh, it's not about that. It's about sales. It's all about the sales. Right. And little by little, sucking the life out of the place. It's a terrible thing to see.
1: Well, I mean, look, we have example after example of that. I don't know if the public out there listening really always gets the inside story about a company that's, either been taken over or has gone down the tubes or the reasons behind it. Um, you don't always see the full story. Mostly the story is, though, as you say, that the people don't have a passion for what they're doing and a passion and alignment and they're not engaged. And there's a lot of issues um, that come about. But it's it's brought on primarily as a result of not loving what you do and not really being into it. And you state the book draws to a bold conclusion. It's our, our kind of our last question. And that love is damn good business. That yeah. love must originate in the heart of extreme leadership or extreme leaders. A leader yeah. who doesn't do what he or she loves will never truly make love a coarse component of the business what would you tell all the listeners that are out there that are leaders that are listening today to, uh, you know, embrace this? And you've talked about measurement, you've talked about leap, you've talked about all the other things that are important to this, but a key component that would get them interested in saying, Hey, I want to learn more about this because I really do believe that love needs to be embedded in the DNA into our own culture but, Steve, yeah. I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, so there, there are a couple of things. And some, two of these things are, are really, one in particular is really very simple. And that is to acknowledge that it's important. Now, that sounds obvious. but But what I've seen many times over the years, what I've heard from people is, after hearing me speak or reading a book or whatever, reading an article or having a conversation, whatever, they'll say, you know what, that's what I've always felt. I've always known that, but I didn't pay attention to it because I didn't think I was quote unquote supposed to, because this is business. Uh, I thought maybe there's something wrong with me. So one of the things that I've discovered for myself is that I'm really not in the business of convincing anybody of, of this. I'm not in the business of convincing anybody of anything. I'm more in the the confirmation business, right? So I'm confirming the impulse that a lot of people, and in my experience, I'm gonna say even most people, have already had but haven't acted on. So step number one is acknowledge for yourself that that's a good thing. Your, Your impulse to love what you do and the people you do it with and the folks that you do it for, otherwise known as your customers. So that in and of itself is gonna open your eyes. Then it becomes about getting clear on what that love is and where it comes from for you and in your context. So I'm gonna give a little prescription here if I may. Ask yourself this question. I mean, literally ask yourself this question frequently. Why do I love this? And you pick the context. This business, this team, this project, Whatever it is, why do I love this? And if the answer is, well, I don't really, <laughs> that's okay. That's cool. Just shift it a little bit. What do I love about this? Can you find something that you can connect to? I may not love this line of work, but I love my team, I love this company, I love this service, whatever it is find that thing that you love that's part one of the question and part two is how can i better show that how can i show it Uh, or how do i show it how do we show it why do i love this how do i show it what do i love about this how how can i show that better and by show it i mean in the way that you act in the way that you interact with people in uh, in the way that you make decisions, in the way that you spend your time, in the way that you that you establish your policies, if you 're in a position to do such a thing, um why do I love this? How do I show it? That is going to lead to and i 'm not exaggerating thousands of ways that you can demonstrate this, and some will work and some won 't there 's always trial and error, but it it will it will set you on the right course. And then start to have that conversation with people and you'll figure it out together. And then of course, you know, obviously I want people to read love is just damn good business to get a whole bunch of examples of people that have done that very thing and, and how they've played that out. But you're going to come up with, you're going to come up with things you listener are going to come up with things that nobody has tried before. And I definitely want to hear those stories because you know, that's what I do. I, I'm a storyteller. I collect these stories from my clients and I share them with other clients so that we all help to learn from each other. So uh, that that's my greatest wish for anybody listening to this podcast. To try this out, create your own stories and be a great teacher for the rest of us.
1: Well, for my listeners, I think that, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, you, If you just go out, and get the book, or you read any one of Steve's books, The Radical Leap, The Radical Edge, Greater Than Yourself, and this brand new book, um, you're you're going to have an opportunity to try some of these things. That's what Steve's saying. And um, Steve's website is just very simple. Steve Farber, F-A-R-B-E-R.com. Uh, as I mentioned early in the podcast, uh, you can link to the book there. You go to Amazon. We're going to have links there. We're going to have links to his website. Um, You can check out the events, the workshops, the e-courses, the videos that Steve has done where you can see him speaking as well. But for somebody to actually come into your organization and help you make this transition, this cultural transition, I can say I've known Steve for a long time. This is a personal commercial for me, but I don't think you could hire anybody better than Steve and his team to do that. So Check it out. Look at his client list. I think you'll be impressed. Steve, it's been a pleasure having you on Insight Personal Growth today and sharing um, some of the wisdom that you've gathered over the years um, about love, and it's all been put into this book, Love is Just Damn Good Business, Um, and uh, Steve Farber is our guest. Steve, thanks a lot for being on.
2: Thank you, Greg. It's been a great pleasure. I really appreciate it.